Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, good evening, Father's House. And I don't know if too many of you have been around when I've shared. Some of you have, some of you haven't. How many were here Sunday morning and saw Pastor Kevin? Wow, okay. (laughs) I have a little, well, not a little, I'm sorry. I was going to say a little Pastor Kevin, but what I meant was I have some of Pastor Kevin inside of me. But I don't have that kind of energy, you know what I mean? I, I, I do, but it, it just doesn't come out the same way. So if, if, you, if you get bored, I've already talked to my assistant, uh, Christine. She said that she brought something sharp, and she's going to poke anybody that goes to sleep. All right? Just keep that in mind. We are at that place where we're entering into the season of Thanksgiving. We've just gotten rid of all the goblins and the ghouls, and we put that all behind us. And now we're stepping into this the season, Christmas season, holiday season, where we start out, which I think is kind of interesting the way it worked out, we start out with Thanksgiving. Is it just me or does it seem like our world isn't quite as thankful as it used to be? I mean, anybody here agree with that? Yeah, it it seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, we're, I was thinking about it as I made the sad mistake of turning on the news the other day, and I realized that it's almost as though we've come to a place to where we're really not terribly grateful for the country we have. At least, it appears that way. Uh, We've lost the appreciation for the value of other people. We seem to kind of look at them and figure out who they're at fault of. It's just... It's not the same anymore. It's not, it seems to have lost something. It's not to say we were perfect before, but it just seems like the attitude of gratitude is slowly sipping away from, from our hearts in this country. And our love for God is, is almost confined to those who come into little places on Wednesday night and worship Him. But the rest of the world is just wondering what we're doing in here. Thankfulness, gratitude is what I want to talk about because Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Uh, Thanksgiving is that, that marvelous holiday that we give thanks, and it's really more of a thanksgiving, isn't it? Think about that. Thanksgiving? Nah, no, I'm thanksgiving. I, I don't, it, it, it's not a matter of what, what I'm giving as much as it's, I'm thankful for what I'm getting. When's the last time you gave thanks to God for something you didn't get? Yeah, not too often. Usually when we hit our knees, we're hitting our knees asking for something, and then we say thank you for when we get it. What I, wanna, what I was thinking about, the uh, pastor asked me to, to share with you about Thanksgiving since we're approaching the holiday. And I thought about it for a season, and I, I came up with a number of different things. And, and one of the things that I came across that I thought was interesting, have you ever heard of the guy by the name of Gandhi? Well, he, he made a statement, and, and it just, it, it's a good statement. It's worth, worth considering, and I, you may have heard it before. But he says, your beliefs become your thoughts. 
Your beliefs become your thoughts. See, in other words, it starts with beliefs, what you believe. And then that moves into your thought life. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. And your values become your destiny. Wow. Did you get that? It all starts with what you believe. And it ends up with your destiny. Have you noticed that the destiny of our lives of late is kind of taking a shift in a direction that a lot of people aren't terribly comfortable with, and yet it all boils down to the belief system of our country has changed? The faith in God is, it wanes, to say the, say the least. It is kind of, it's not there as it once was. I sat here t- this morning, or this evening rather. I'm used to going to church in the morning, bear with me. But <laughs> I was sitting here uh, this evening and, and I was sensing what was going on. I just, the worship. Come in here an hour before Wednesday night and listen to these people as they worship God, as they practice and prepare. They're not practicing, they're worshiping. They're worshiping before they're worshiping before they're leading you in worship. Their hearts have moved into that place of worship. Can you imagine if the whole world was like that? I, I, we had a young lady. I'm kind of getting off track here, but it's just it's in my mind, so you've got to bear with me because I'm the one with the microphone, okay? But <clears throat> we had a young lady that stayed with us for a few days. Uh, she came to church for the Sunday. Uh, she had written a book called Choose Zoe, and I shared that the last time I spoke. That little girl dwarfed me spiritually. I, I, I was taking her around and showing her different things and places and whatnot. And I, I go into a store and I come walking out of the store and here she is talking to this gentleman who's telling her he doesn't believe in God and she is telling him why he should. I mean, and it was just, it was great, you know, and the guy let us pray for him before we left. And we're standing right in front. Everybody's walking around us and we're praying for this guy. Then she leaves, uh, we, she goes to her hotel, and we dropped her off at Tampa, and she sends me a little note and says that she had gone in, sat down to have a bite to eat before they could get a room for her, and she's talking to a lady who looks over and asks her. Now, she, for those of you, how many are not familiar with the young lady I'm talking about, are not familiar? Okay. She, she wrote a book called Choose Zoe. Zoe is the Greek word for life. Choose life. And, and she's, the book is about the value of life. Okay, and uh, she's talking to this lady, and the lady says, "She says it's amazing I should I should see you here." And she just starts crying. This is over a breakfast, somebody she'd never met before, and she's saying how she had had an abortion as a result of being date raped, not all that long ago. How could God know to bring the people into that particular little girl's life at that particular moment to bring them to a place of? peace. And she sends me this text. She says, it's so wonderful to watch God give peace into people's lives. I come walking out of another store, and she's over in the parking lot talking to somebody by their car. I thought maybe somebody had bumped the car. Oh, no, no. She was telling them about God. I've been doing this for 35 years, and I'm standing up here talking to you about God. She goes out in the parking lots and changes people's lives. That's somebody who recognizes value because it started with her belief. Does that make sense? And I think if we're going to be thankful, we need to kind of 
Step back and see where do we start with our belief. Jesus said the same thing, but he did it with such God eloquence because he confined it down to the fundamentals. He put it this way in Matthew 6.21. He says, Where your treasure lies, there your heart will be also. And that's all he said, but he said the whole thing right there. Where your treasure lies, there your heart will be also. In other words, if you want to be thankful and grateful, you've got to find value. If you have value in it, you will love it. And if you love it, you will live for it. Stands to reason, doesn't it? As I was thinking about Thanksgiving, and I was thinking about this, this song that you were singing, that you just led us in. I, I, I wrote down the scripture, Psalms 34 to 5. It says this, listen to this. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor, his favor lasts a lifetime. A weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The psalmist is simply saying this, look for the half full glass and give thanks for it. When's the last time you picked up something that wasn't full and you went, darn it, instead of thank you? Most of the time, we're looking at what's missing rather than what we have. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Matthew Henry? He was an early English uh, Bible scholar. Uh, he wrote a lot of works. You might even have one on your shelf. Some of you may not even know it. It might be on your shelf. But he, he got mugged one night by a bunch of robbers. He got beaten, and they stole his wallet. Now, and he went back, and he, he wrote a, a little note in his diary. And, and listen to what he said. Lord, let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took my all and everything I had, it really wasn't that much. And fourth, thank you, Lord, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Is that powerful? In other words, Lord, go get them because I'm really angry and I know that vengeance is yours. I just want to watch. No. What he did is he stopped and he looked at the half-full glass. And he thanked God for that. You know, I, I just think as, as Thanksgiving is coming on, when you think of Thanksgiving, what do you think about? What comes to mind when you think of Thanksgiving? Pilgrims? Friendly Indians around a big long table? A lot of food? Indigestion? Football? A comfortable couch and a pillow? Shopping on Black Friday. <laughs> I've seen everybody going, no, oh, no. You know it's the longest national holiday weekend that we have? We don't have four days even for Christmas, unless it falls on a certain day. We have it for Thanksgiving. And yet Thanksgiving is a rather distinctive holiday because it doesn't celebrate, it, it doesn't celebrate any famous person's birth. It doesn't celebrate any great victory that we've ever had. It doesn't celebrate um, any special event, any historical event. It's just simply a day set aside to give thanks. Four days to do it. 
We've never, and you think, well, no other country does this. Well, they do now. We're not the only ones now. We used to be, but now we're not. A lot of countries do this, and it's very distinctive. But, you know, one of the things that I found that most people reflect on when you think of Thanksgiving, other than what you've got to, coming up. I'm, I can imagine there's probably a lot of people in the room thinking, yeah, I'm thinking of a great big mess and a lot of cooking that I have to do. But, but we always seem to go back to that little picturesque setting of, that was embroidered in our minds from grammar school of the, of the beautiful long table and all the, the food on there, you know, the friendly Indians with the pilgrims. And Anybody remember that little picture that just kind of worked into your cranium? Yeah, you know. We've, we've got that. And, and you can picture them sitting here with a feast of, of turkey and mashed potatoes and butter and rolls and, and pumpkin pie and, you know, just all the stuff that you see that painted in the picture. I mean, it's a good thought, but it's not exactly what happened. I did a little looking at this. Turkeys were never um, eaten because nobody knew they were edible. So it was venison. And potatoes, well, you know how you, how many here love mashed potatoes? I just love mashed potatoes. No potatoes. Back then, in the 1600s, potatoes and tomatoes were considered poisonous. I don't know where they got that, but they did. I mean, there's some vegetables that should be poisonous, but my (laughs) wife eats it anyway, you know. Makes me eat it, too. There was no wheat, so there was no rolls. Cows hadn't been brought in yet, hadn't been established in the country, so we, there was no milk, so there was no butter. Obviously no refrigeration for it either. Obviously the rolls were gone with no wheat. They did have corn, but they took the corn and they mashed it and baked it into cakes. They, did have, uh, uh, they didn't have apples, no apples. Apple trees hadn't yet been brought into the country yet. and So they didn't have apple cider, they didn't have apple pie, they didn't have wheat, so even though they had pumpkins, they didn't have pumpkin pie. Man, it just sounds kind of boring, doesn't it? All the good stuff was gone. So, I mean, it it was a little different, but, you know, it it happened. And, uh, by the way, the governor at the time of Virginia, that area, William Bradford, he did invite some people. It was his family, the people who worked for his family, and two Indians, uh, I think the way they pronounced it, the chief Massasoit and his brother, and that was it. So it isn't quite the picture that we saw before, you know, when we were kids, but it's close. But that wasn't really the first Thanksgiving. That is, and it took place in 1610, because in 1609 there was a proclamation of thanks, of which I'll share with you in just a moment. But it actually happened a little before that. But let me ask you another question before I I get to that. How many here would say that you would be really thankful if God would just enlighten you with what his desire is for your life, his will for your life? If you just had a full, complete, clear grasp of that, you would have a good cause to be thankful. Yeah? Quite a few of you. The rest of you are lying. Okay. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now, very quickly and very briefly, what God's will is for your life. You want it? Not just the hands that raised, but for all of you. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Listen to what this says. 
Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. <laughs> there it is. All this time you were wondering what it was, and it's been right there all along. And I had to find it for you. That's okay. That's okay. We'll take an offering later. Have you ever met anybody that was joyful always? They're scary. But take note of something. It doesn't say you are to be filled with joy always. It says you're to be joyful always. There's a big difference. Because it's hard to be filled with joy always. Because life just always brings things that, are, that can fill you with joy. But you can be joyful. There was a lady in our church who just recently graduated and went on to be with the Lord. Some of you know her, know her I'm sure. But one day... She had come in, and I was standing back by the door on a Sunday morning, and I looked up and saw her come in, so I stepped out to greet her, and she got this big smile and came up and grabbed me and hugged me, and how are you? And I just knew, as I knew as I knew at that moment, she was going to tell me that the doctors had given her some good news because she had been getting nothing but bad news. And I thought, wow, man, because she was just joyful. And she stands in that hall and tells me, that things are a whole lot worse than she ever thought. Okay. But she was joyful. Was she filled with joy? Probably not. But she chose to be joyful. You see, it's a decision. It's something you can choose to do in spite of whatever the world is doing around you. And it makes a difference in you, and it'll make a difference in everyone around you. And that's why he says, be joyful always. Then he, then he goes on to say, and pray continually. How many pray continually when you're not looking for a parking space or, you know? I, what he's really saying here is not just a continued worship, worshipful form of prayer, but to be in an attitude of prayer, communion with God on a continuous basis. And then he says, and give thanks in all circumstances. This, by the way, is what God's will is for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. <laughs> How many know that's not easy? But take note of something, just like Matthew Henry. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says to give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know about you, but if I break my leg, I'm not going to go, oh, cool, thanks, Lord. But I am going to say thank you, Lord, that you have created a unique vessel that can heal. Thank you, Lord, for being alive at a time in which medical science will put the pieces back together. Understand, medical science, the best medical science can do is prolong the inevitable, but it doesn't fix everything. It simply puts the pieces back, and God mends it. What more can we be thankful for? That's about it. Let's, there's a, there's a, a thanksgiving, a true thanksgiving, the first literal thanksgiving that took place that really is a perfect example of this particular scripture in 1 Thessalonians, where we are to be joyful, to pray, and to give thanks. It happened in 1610.
In Jamestown, Virginia, in 1610, there were 409 colonists. Now, it did not happen, this Thanksgiving dinner, in November, preceding the coming winter. It actually was at the end of the winter. And if you ever look it up, it's called the starving time. Because of the 409 colonists that were there that entered in to that winter season, only 60 survived at the end of the season. 349 died of starvation. Now, how, what's that got to do with Thanksgiving? It's recorded in their logs that although they had no concept of where their next provision was going to come, or even if it would come, it's stated in there that they continually and never ceased to give praise and prayer to God and thanked Him for what they knew He would do for them. Now that means that out of 60, that's 349. That means 60 people at the end lost a loved one, a friend, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a son or a daughter. They lost someone, if not a lot of someones. And yet, here they were, gathered together, surviving this horrible storm. When England finally got a ship through to them, according to the the logs and the charters of, in, of the ship, the 60 were incapable of unloading the boat themselves physically. And it says that the crew unloaded the stores and placed them into storage and, and, and helped the people who were needing immediate medical attention. And then in the log, it says that the 60 chose unanimously, 100%, to take the next two days and fast and pray. In the ship's log, the, the captain is stated, they, he queried as to why. Why would you do this now? And the response was, we have been starving, but now we have something to give God. And they spent two days, instead of eating their full with all the provisions they have, they chose instead to put it aside and pray and give thanks to God for two, two more days. That is a sacrificial thanksgiving. That was the first thanksgiving. I, I want to um, share with you also that there was some interesting things that, that took place. In, in 1619, nine years later, on December 4th, a charter was written on the, for uh, the state of Virginia, and it stated, quote, we ordain that the day of our ship's arrival in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. Now you would think that's the beginning, that's the first thanksgiving. But unfortunately that didn't live too long and it died out in about 150 years, within 150 years. Because it took 150 years from that date before we were even able to have a holiday like thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is... Something you can thank a young single mother by the name of Sarah Hale. You might know her by her poem, Mary Had a Little Lamb. She wrote a letter. Her father instilled within her an attitude of gratitude. And she wanted to see her country uniformly together give thanks to God. So she started writing letters. She wrote letters to all the governors and all the various political offices and just encouraged them to do it. 
It took a very long time, and two or three states actually did establish a day of Thanksgiving. She wrote presidents. She wrote for 35 years. She wrote to, uh, let me see, she wrote to President Zachary Taylor, who simply said no. She wrote to Mallard Fillmore, president, who said he thought it was a ridiculous idea. She wrote to President Franklin Pierce, who said it is not the government's position to tell people they should be thankful. And she wrote to President James Buchanan, who basically said it's not the government's position or interest to get involved in such trivial things. So she almost gave up, but she decided she'd write to one more, and she did. And on October 3, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed into place a proclamation that on the last Thursday of November, we will have a date in which we will give thanks to God. Now, he didn't say give thanks. He said give thanks to God. Probably run him out of office now. From that point on, there was a whole lot of little traditions that took place. Some good things, some bad things, some interesting things. But they all kind of came and went. But there was one tradition that stuck for a long time until the Industrial Revolution. And this tradition died out about that time. But up to that point, it was consistent. And I would like to encourage you to participate in this, and I'm going to help you with it. Because I have purchased, what it was is giving a small gift. And I have purchased, I took, I'm sorry, you didn't know this, but I, I spent a lot. And I want you guys to, I did, I just want you to have it. So I'm asking if our, if our ushers would come, please, and if you would grab those uh, boxes and please hand those out. And we're just going to hand out a box. Now, you don't get to keep the box. What I want you to do is reach into the box, okay? And I want you to take out of that box five kernels of corn. Not four, not six, five, okay? And then, then pass the box on down so everybody has it. It's very important you have these because these, and don't plant them in the yard. You will not get a stalk or anything growing out of it. Okay? But while that's taking place, I was going to ask you what Thanksgiving was like in your house. But I knew that if I did ask you what Thanksgiving was like in your house, that I would probably get some bogus lie about how wonderful it is and how what a great cook you are. And I mean, it's church. We can't let you lie. So I'm not going to ask you. We asked your children instead. So I'd like you to take a look while you're doing that and watch this little uh, video. Got to bring that volume up. There you go. My parents, my Xbox, toys, bugs, my brothers, Santa, monster trucks, <laughs> a dinosaur, a zebra, and an elephant. My friends, Jesus, my house, my family, my school, Christmas, my mom and my dad, carrots. That I have a family and that I don't have to live out in the wild like a hairy skunk. And a rhinoceros. Usually our friends come over and we have a Thanksgiving party at my grandmother's. We eat 
turkey and have mashed potatoes. Five snacks and let me drink Kool-Aid, vegetables, lemonade, green beans, apple juice, steak, and what else? They sit around the table and eat and talk. They keep talking. They talk. They don't stop. Some of the grown-ups play football with us. We play with Uncle Jimmy. And play, and play, and play. And get mohawks. After he eats all that food, all he has to do is go to the bathroom and go to sleep. And that's all. <laughs> the reason I gave you five kernels, this was the tradition, that you would take the five kernels, and there's more back here if you leave, if you want to grab some, but you take the five kernels and you put it on each person's plate before the meal is brought to the table. Not after the meal is sitting there and everybody wants to get to it, but before. And then each person around the table would pick up a single kernel and they would say what they were thankful for. Just one little thing. And then they would go all the way around. Now, you can go all the way around and do it five different times or just once. But what the five kernels represents is in the logs of the pilgrims' hard winter, their food provision had run so low that the daily allotment was five kernels of corn for each adult and three for each child. And that was it. And each day there is a log of them corporately coming together and giving thanks for their meal. It just seemed appropriate that we reinstate that tradition. I'd like to encourage you to do that. Now, you don't have to put five. But I think if you did, you would have something to share. And I'm willing to buy them for you. It's okay. I got them right back there. Grab some and take them home for Thanksgiving. Put them someplace. In fact, you know what wouldn't hurt? Is take one of them and put it right on your desk or wherever you work so you can always recognize a place and always see a time to be thankful for something. How many here know that we live a life that is uniquely prosperous and well compared to so many others in life? We are a blessed people. And we have a we have a church that can gather on a Wednesday night without fear or reprisal or persecution. And we can worship God as we choose. And we can come and we can listen to, to somebody just rattle on about five kernels of corn. And we can do it because we love God. And we love each other. We are a blessed people. And sometimes, sometimes we get so frustrated we fail to recognize how blessed we are. And we're in a world that is changing, morphing, flexing, shifting, transforming every day. And it's doing it in order to fit the culture around us. And I want you to know, and I shared this with our, our home group the other day, I don't believe in God because, or I'm, correction, I don't believe this book. Let me put it that way. I don't believe in this book because I believe in God. I believe in God because of this book. Anybody can believe in God. You can find any book that will tell you whatever you want that will fit your life. This one, your life fits it. You with me? 
This is the owner's manual, the instruction manual for you. And I guarantee you, when you open it up and take a look at it, you're going to find things in there that might look a little puzzling and other things you're not going to like. But I guarantee you that if you follow the owner's manual, you'll run healthy and well. Life will function better. And in a world that changes, I want to give you five very quick things, very quick, five things. You can sit here and say, five things, yeah, there's only an hour for each one, so hang in there. Five good reasons, five kernels of corn in which you can hold on to in a world that changes. Number one, God never changes. God never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The greatest assurance we have is that our God is like the anchor that you may not be able to see, but you can feel the tug in your heart because it's well-rooted and well-firmly held. Any storm, and it doesn't matter. Secondly, God's Word never changes. Matthew 5.18 says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. God's Word today is being redefined. It's being morphed into something that fits the, the morality of the day, the contemporary culture that allows us to be whatever we want, whoever we want, without restriction, and that's fine. But then we get upset because things go bad and we have to blame somebody. Don't blame somebody. Pick up the Word and find out what God's all about and let Him give you peace. And third, God's standard never changes. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being a good guy isn't enough. I wish God would work on the curve. That would be great. My problem, though, is the moment I stand up there in the heavenlies and I look at Jesus in the eye, I'm going to realize that the person standing in front of me is Mother Teresa and the guy behind me is Billy Graham, and I am in a big of trouble. You know the righteousness in God's eyes? Righteousness in God's eyes isn't even close to human virtue. Doesn't even, doesn't even get close to it. Divine decency is far more than man's best morality. He has set a standard that is way beyond anything we could reach, and that's why we have the blood of Christ. Because he has done it for us. God's love never changes. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God's love is the very very means, motive, and goal for His relationship for his, with His creation. God's love is behind everything He does. And sometimes we look and say, well, Lord, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And the Lord says, yeah, I know. Hang in there and watch what I can do for you. God's plan for salvation is number five. His plan for salvation has never changed. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God's plan for salvation goes beyond our intellectual understanding of what he has done for us. And it moves past that to the simplicity of a heart belief in the truth of a living, loving God 
who said, you know what? There's nothing you can do to reach heaven, but I can bring you up. There's no ladder that will get you there. Not one rung can get you even remotely close, but I will bring you up. I don't know if there's anyone here who has never given their heart to the Lord, but I will tell you this. Even if you have, if your life is walking in all directions around where He would have you be, He wants you to stop and stand in the center. And as we approach this time of thanksgiving and be thankful for the simple fact that you do not have to live a perfect life because perfection is already yours. All you need to do is live a life that you know is right before God. And you say, well, that may not be perfect. None of us are perfect, but we're being perfected. And God said, be holy as I am holy. Does that make sense? I kind of wish Lori was here because she could come up here and she'd convince you that I don't know how she does it. I do know how she does it. She doesn't. She lets him do it. And he does it through her. I would like to see everyone here become a lawyer as you walk outside that door. Because there's somebody you're going to meet before that holiday season of thanks that's going to need what you have. And it's a simple understanding of a living and loving God. Would you pray with me and I'll I'll send you home. Not a bad exchange. I'll let you out of here if you pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you right now, I, I ask if you would move upon our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to, to see with eyes, eyes that, eyes that go beyond our, our grasp, our, our, the depth of our reason and our understanding, but moves into a level of faith Open our eyes to see what we should be so grateful for. Not the abundance of this life that we live, and we do live in abundance, and, but grace that there is more, much more, a peace that, that goes way beyond understanding, a peace in the midst of our turmoil, not an absence of it, we can be joyful, Lord God. We can be joyful in, in, in whatever transpires in our life because that will help us to be infilled with joy. And that joy is the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning, this morning, see, I told you I'm in church again. If you're here, maybe you've, uh, maybe you've never really made that commitment to let God come into your life, let His Holy Spirit sweep through you, that He would become literally the Lord of your life. And I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, you will always have a Lord in your life. Something or someone will be the Lord of your life every moment of your life. Because what you value is also what you will worship. Let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. If that's you, maybe, maybe tonight's the night. Maybe you're here for that very reason. 
Maybe you can sense it in your heart that maybe this is why I walked through this place. I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. But you're here. And I'm going to ask you, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. Just, yes. Yes. Good. Praise God. Yes. Yes. All right. Let's pray this prayer. A simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I am excited to say that I believe that I will stand in your presence one day and I will worship you and love you and be blessed by you. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you will continue to do in my life. And I ask you to bless those to either side of me and those in front and behind me. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps will be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.